This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 215, episode 215 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a folktale from Ireland about the lazy beauty, about a woman who is beautiful but finds it hard to lift a finger. But before we get down to that, a big welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners. If this is your first time listening, listen to this episode, get a flavour for what Fireside is. And if you enjoy it, why not head right back through the ranks all the way down to episode one. See what we've been building up to over the last four and a half years on the journey of Fireside. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. All the usual ways you can get in touch, you can follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. You can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not on social media. Those are the best places to get in touch with me. If you have any questions, queries, or just want to say hello, you can also share this on your stories, spread the good name of the podcast, and help it to continue to grow. And if you want to support me in a more direct way, you can buy my book, my poetry book, Garden Sea, A Neomyth of Home, which is available in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version from Amazon instantly, but the paperback we can ship all around the world. And uh, thank you those to those who continue to buy that. It's a great, great pleasure. Still my favorite thing to do to send it away. Uh, and the final way you can support it is by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Those are all, all the links are in the description below, and those are all of those out of the way now. Uh, thank you uh, for tuning in. It's great to be recording with you again today. I'm recording to you from Wicklow. The the um, routine or the output of Fireside is still not where I would like it at the moment. These are still coming out a little bit too infrequently. It's been a couple of weeks since I recorded the last one. Um, rest assured, it is not intentional. Um, I'm still very much uh, settling back into my new life back in Ireland and uh, I'm playing music an awful lot gigging an awful lot at night and uh, doing a lot of walking tours and um, so there's a lot of nights that I'm working seven nights a week uh, while at the same time finishing off my novel and uh, vocally it's more the there's the mental strain of it but also the vocal strain I'm finding myself you can probably even hear it now and today's one of the better days hence why I'm recording uh, I'm trying to work up that stamina again of having to sing sometimes for six hours a night if I'm doing two gigs. 
Um, but it's getting there. I'm getting back into the routine and the plan is still to get back to recording and releasing Fireside every week. And I will probably for a couple of weeks, I might release two this week to try and get back up to as many as we should be for this point of the year because it is still the plan to have 50 episodes a year um, so that we're at 300 by the end of ep- year six. Even <laughs> I'm even talking about that far ahead before we even get to 250 at the end of this. But thank you for your patience, those um, those who have been, those who are up to date and are waiting. Um, it is not going unnoticed and it is very important that I get back to that. Uh, there's just been a huge amount of a workload that I'm still trying to get used to and uh, find the groove with. And I've also had a lot of um, personal struggles uh, mentally that have been going on the last couple of months, which I'm slowly but surely and hopefully coming through as well. But thank you for all of that. I don't need to go any further into that. But the episode for this week came from the classic The Fairy and Folk Tales of Ireland, uh, edited by W.B. Yeats, from the beautiful edition again that I received as a birthday present last year from my friend Leah. Um, it's beautiful because there's a lot of the stories that I've read in other editions, but they have beautiful illustrations to them. And it always makes a huge difference when you're reading a book especially when I've read like multiple editions of some of these books, of the difference it is to read depending on how the layout is. There's a huge amount more pleasure to be taken when there's a beautiful typeface. As a good counterexample of that, I don't know if you've ever bought a book off Amazon that was printed by Amazon, but it's often like reading a Word document that has been bound and they can be a lot denser and harder to get through because the the image, the artwork, and the even if it doesn't have illustrations, but the artwork of the font and the print and the layout, these things do matter even if it doesn't seem like they do. But the difference between sitting down with a nice book and reading a Word document on a computer is a huge difference. So I'll put the link in the description of this book because it's a fantastic edition, a fantastic gift as well because it's really beautiful. It's very like a spell book. But the story came from this. This is one I discovered a few months ago and came upon again in the last week. And um, it has echoes and seems to share an etymology or a a story source with a story that we did a few weeks ago, but takes a very different turn. So I'll be interested as you listen, if you can pick up on, I'm sure it'll be very clear um, if you've been listening over the last couple of months, the story I'm talking about, but it'll be interesting to see how it veers in a different way, coming from a different source and being from a different culture. Um, So I'll get down to the story now. We'll chat more afterwards, but this is the story of the lazy beauty on Fireside. The lazy beauty. There once was a woman who was the most hard-working and industrious in all of Ireland. She had one daughter who was reported to be beautiful, but otherwise the apple fell as far as possible from the tree. The girl was as lazy as they came. She slept in late, took her time stewing over her breakfast, and would spend her days idling and dawdling. Not only was she too lazy to work, She hardly ever spoke, as if speaking required too much effort. When she did talk, her speech was slow and slurred, as if her tongue couldn't be bothered to move. The girl's mother was incredibly worried. They were poor, but survived because of how hard a worker the mother was. 
she hoped to pass on this ethic to her daughter. But no matter how much she encouraged or criticized her, the lazy beauty would not lift a finger. There came a day when the mother had reached her wit's end and was screaming at her daughter in a desperate attempt to make her make something of herself. The daughter would not even dignify the shouts with a response. When who should ride by their cottage but the king's son? Good afternoon, madam, the prince said to the mother. I am sorry to hear you in such distress. I do not mean to eavesdrop, but you were speaking quite loudly, and I couldn't help but overhear that your child is lazy. Sloth is a deadly sin, and it is one my own mother, the queen, has never committed. Although I am a prince, she has raised me to work and earn everything in my power. At this moment, the prince saw the lazy beauty. Wait, surely the lazy child is not this handsome young lady? The mother panicked. Why, no, your highness, uh, I believe you misheard me. I was actually scolding my daughter for working too hard. Would you believe it? Every day she spins three pounds of flax at the spinning wheel, and the next day weaves it all into a thread at the loom. Finally, on the third day, she sits with needle and thread and sews the linen into the finest shirts. I keep telling her to slow down, that she'll exhaust herself, but the girl won't listen. She's too diligent a worker. The prince was bowled over by this boast. My word, such a work ethic is the kind the queen would adore. Please, madam, would you permit me to take your daughter to court? I can see her beauty, but if she is capable of what you say, and she impresses my mother as much, your daughter may be a princess by this day next week. The mother did not know what to do. She knew her daughter could not live up to the mother's claims, but, on the other hand, she could hardly refuse a prince. So a cloak was wrapped around the lazy beauty, and she climbed on the back of the prince's horse. On the ride to the kingdom, the prince and the girl did not speak much. "'What is your name, my dear?' he asked. "'Anastasia,' the girl lazily replied. "'But everyone calls me auntie.' The queen was not impressed to see her son ride home with a peasant country girl with him. But she could not deny the beauty of the girl. And when the prince told his mother of how auntie could spin and weave and sew... The queen felt obliged to give the girl a chance. The prince's mother said, Even though I am a queen, and do not have to do anything I don't want, I am the greatest spinner, weaver, and seamstress in the kingdom. I have all the materials and equipment you will ever need, child, and I am the perfect judge. If you can spin three pounds of flax, weave them into thread, and sew them into shirts in three days. Perhaps you will be my daughter-in-law on the fourth. Auntie was brought into a beautiful room with the most incredibly carved spinning wheel she had ever seen. She had grown up with her own mother spinning every day, but Auntie herself had never sat behind the wheel. The queen said, Take all the time you need, child, 
But I expect this flax spun by the morning. Auntie looked at the piles and piles of flax crop in the room. She could only try. She sat at the wheel and began to spin. How hard can it be if my mother can do it, she thought. Very hard, as it turned out. Every piece she spun came out thin as spider's web or coarse as a hairbrush. Not one would be suitable for weaving. Auntie soon gave up and began to cry. What would become of her when her failure was exposed? As the girl sobbed in her hands, an old woman appeared in the room. Why do you cry, girl? said the visitor. Auntie jumped with fright, having not noticed the woman come in. She got a further scare when she looked down and saw that the woman had enormously large feet, as large as sacks of potatoes. I'm crying because by morning I have to spin three pounds of flax, and I can't even spin three grams. The old woman was unfazed. And tell me, girl, if you spin this thread, are you to be married to the prince? And if so, would you invite your aunt Khalid Kushmore to the wedding? Khalid Kushmore? asked the girl. That's me, old woman Big Feet. And it's not the queen, but me, who's the greatest spinner in the land. The girl was overjoyed. Oh, if you did that, I would have you at every feast for the rest of my life. It's a deal, said the old woman. She rolled up her sleeves and began to spin faster and more artfully than Auntie's own mother could have even dreamed. The next morning the queen was delighted to see the three pounds of flax spun. I am impressed, child, she said to Auntie. Take the day to spend with my son, and then tonight I will show you my loom, and you can set to work at weaving this flax to linen. Auntie had forgotten that there was more to the deal. Spinning the flax was only the beginning, and the Kali Kushmore was gone. To make matters worse, the lazy beauty had a magical day with the prince. The more they relaxed around each other, the more they began to fall in love, and the more Auntie felt she had everything to lose. That night, the queen brought Auntie into another room that contained a large loom, with a low seat at the bottom of its wide wooden frame. As soon as the queen was gone and the door locked, Auntie began once more to cry. But to the girl's delight, another old woman appeared. Not Kali Kushmore, this woman's feet were normal-sized, but it was her hips that were wider than a lumberjack's shoulders. It seemed to be difficult for the old woman to move, but yet she did, gracefully. I am Kali Cranenmore. And I am the best weaver in Ireland. Uh, for a seat at your wedding table, I will turn all this flax into the finest linen. The girl agreed. The old woman sat down, and Auntie watched as the crop was woven together into the finest and most durable of material. The queen was again overjoyed with the results. She allowed Auntie to spend another day with the prince before she could cut and sew the linen into shirts. Auntie and the prince fell further in love as they talked and ate and rode horses all day. Still, the girl was filled with dread. She was so close, 
but still so far. That night, Auntie paced around the room filled with linen, hoping and praying that another mysterious old woman would appear. And because these things come in threes, another did. This woman had a nose the size of a dinner plate, and she announced herself as Colleg Shronmore Rua, the old woman of the big red nose. With a promise of another seat at the wedding feast, the linen was soon twelve beautiful shirts. Three days after the promise, three pounds of flax had been spun, woven to linen, and sewn to shirts. After that, the only talk from the Queen was of the wedding. The whole kingdom was invited, including the Lazy Beauty's mother. The mother did not know how her daughter had pulled the whole thing off. Perhaps I got through to her after all, she thought. Maybe all those days I thought she was lazing about, she was watching and listening and learning. How wrong the mother was. At the wedding feast, Anastasia and the prince were the most handsome couple, and Auntie thought she could finally relax. She had gotten away with it, and hopefully, as a princess, nothing more would be asked of her. But as she sat next to the queen at the banquet, the new mother-in-law told Auntie all the fun the two of them were going to have spinning and weaving and sewing together every single night. There would be no escape, and she would be found out eventually. But then an announcement came. A guard approached the prince and said, Your Highness, the aunt of the princess asks for an audience. Any relation of my bridegroom is welcome here, said the prince. Suddenly in hobbled Khaleg Kushmore, the old woman of the big feet, the queen was appalled at the old crone's appearance, and in an effort to make conversation asked, How on earth did your feet end up so big? Well, your majesty, I have spent my entire life spinning at the wheel, and my feet swelled to this size. The prince turned to Auntie. I promise you will never have to sit at a spinning wheel again. Another announcement, and in walked Kali Cranenmore. How is it that you are so wide in the middle? the queen asked. From spending every day of my life sat at the loom, your majesty. Again the prince said to the princess, You will not spend another hour weaving. Finally, colleague Shron Morua. My nose is this big from sewing. My head was always looking down at the needle and thread, and all the blood flowed to my nose. The prince said, If my wife even looks at another needle and thread, I'll run a mile. And so the lazy beauty escaped without consequence, which makes the moral of this story puzzling, because sometimes... The laziest do succeed, but they are a select and lucky, slothful few. The rest of us must work, just in case we don't get visited by three fairies. The End
it's Stephanie Preisner and I want to tell you about my podcast, Basically. Basically, if you have anything that you don't understand or you want made simple, you contact me and I get someone in. I get an expert in to explain the situation to you. We've had episodes on what is the story with AI? What is the story with trying to conceive? What is the story with Brexit? What is the story with being the Taoiseach? We have so many episodes in our back catalogue for you to listen to. But also, if there's anything that you currently want made simple, contact me on Stephanie Preisner on Instagram and I will get an episode straight for you. And there we have the tale of the lazy beauty on Fireside. And I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes, so I really, I love this tale so much. And because right off the bat, I'll say that this was clearly heavily influenced by the tale of Rumpelstiltskin. The tale from the grim fairy tales that we covered on Fireside um, a few weeks ago. And that was not intentional. I wasn't seeking out an Irish version of Rumpelstiltskin. But when I did discover it, and when that is one of my favourite stories ever anyway, um, and seeing the echoes in it, that's one of my favourite things to do on this, when stories share a core or a root, but they end up being very, very different. And such is the case here, because in Rumpelstiltskin's case, it is the, it is the boasts of a miller who claims falsely that his daughter, who is a total innocent, can weave all these things and spin all these things or spin straw into gold is the promise and the king summons the girl and says he will make her the princess if she does it and if not he will have her put to death and when she does do it he marries her but she's only able to do it because of this magical creature little man who comes every night and spins the straw into gold and it ends up when the princess or the miller's daughter becomes the queen that she has to promise her first child to this creature unless she can think of his name which through a lot of scouting she learns is Rumpelstiltskin so to compare to compare that we have a reverse at the beginning where it is the mother who is hardworking and honest and the daughter who is lazy and but the prince in his visit is blindsided by the beauty and doesn't see how anyone so beautiful could possibly be lazy, could possibly have any faults, which is something we tend to do um, about beautiful people, people who are uh, classically beautiful. We find it sometimes hard to see fault in them, that they could be human beings. Um, and so he, this prince cannot see that this girl could possibly be slothful or lazy. So the mother panics and says she's the exact opposite of that and she's too hardworking and she's able to do this very like realistic thing. It's not a magical thing. It's not turning straw into gold, but it is a huge amount of hard work that the girl is incapable of. And so when she is brought and with this challenge, she doesn't necessarily, she isn't an innocent in the same way. I mean, she didn't ask for this, to be fair. She just wanted to do nothing, but this was thrust upon her. Uh, but you could make the argument that if she had listened to her very hardworking and diligent mother at all, that she might possibly have been able to achieve this. But she is visited by these three sisters, these three fairies, who really remind me for some reason of an old Cartoon Network show called Courage the Cowardly Dog, which a lot of people my age who listen to this would remember, um, that just had this really weird and twisted gothic style 
and when I visualize this, these three women, one with the huge, enormous feet, one with the really broad, white hips, and the third with the massive, enormous red nose, I picture them as those kind of gothic, grotesque villains that appear in Courage the Cowardly Dog in the style of, like, old B-movies. Um, and that's that's the image that really helped me when I was visualizing these. So I'd be interested what what came to your mind as I was describing the colleague, colleague Cranamore and the colleague Shronmore. <laughs> that's my favorite name, just colleague Shronmore Rua, just the old woman of the big red nose. But these three visit her and they make this plan. They act as the Rumpelstiltskin stand in in this story, and they ask the girl merely for an invitation to the wedding. And then when the wedding does happen, and the girl, in the meantime, has fallen in love with the prince and they're in love with each other, and that gives it more stakes because while this wasn't a thing that little the girl, the Lazy Beauty, originally wanted, it does add more stakes that she does want it. She has more to fight for and more to lose by the end of it. And then at the wedding, when these three women arrive, I'm sure the princess, the newly anointed princess is wondering what they will want will they want the firstborn child and certainly when i was reading it i was thinking this was going to be more literally analogous with rumpelstiltskin that there would be some comeuppance but the opposite happens because even if the three women had just appeared to the lazy beauty those three times she wouldn't have been out of the woods because she was going to spend the rest of her life with the queen who would have who was this great seamstress and weaver and um, spinner, and she would have been found out the very next night, and it would have been known, and who knows what would have happened to the princess. Perhaps she would have been sent back home, or worse, put to death. But rather, the invitation is part of the plan all along. The The three older women, they can see that in the short term this will help the princess but won't in the long term so they do help her in the long term and in the end they get nothing in return and when so many irish tales about fairies are involved you never work out well for the mortals and it is usually a case of hubris where the mortals are asking for something and they don't realize what they're really asking for here it's equally as mysterious, but in the other way and shows the true unpredictability of fairies. Because that's, if it was just always that fairies, if they were just entirely villainous, uh, then there wouldn't be any interest in the stories because people would know that you weren't asked. But it's the fact that they can help and they're so unpredictable that sometimes they help without ask for anything in return. And these three older women seemingly get nothing in return, except perhaps... And this is where the ending of this story was very interesting uh, because in the version I adapted it from, it has a similar enough ending to how I ended it with saying it's hard to, it questions the moral of it, but it's structured far more like it's the storyteller telling it to a group of children and telling them that no three fairies will ever come to them because none of them are beautiful. It says, like, none of you are as beautiful as the princess and none of you can get away with being lazy, basically. So don't listen to the moral of the story, which is a puzzling but very interesting ending to this tale because it doesn't feel unsatisfying because of the twist. The twist just goes in the more positive direction at the end. But there is still something because there is no lesson learned. And the original storyteller from the source I had posited that... uh, that the couple would be very, very unhappy down the line. 
that eventually the prince would realize that the princess was lazy and dull and boring. And I didn't really like that as much. I would rather leave that to the imagination of how you imagined this would work out. I mean, who knows? Maybe the daughter did eventually become more industrious and hardworking, although one would argue that she would have to do the exact opposite working as a princess, although admittedly the queen was making these grand and boastful claims that she herself was the hard worker. So it is like it's thematically it's a very interesting story about about industry and hard work. And that's what my little taking of it was at the end was that because the, to be honest, there are people who are incredibly lazy and easygoing or like the, we would call them lazy or perceive them as lazy. And they do seem to coast and flow and Sometimes that is how life works out. And then there are other people who work incredibly hard and and don't have the same levels of success. There is always an element of unpredictability and luck and depending on the kind of line of work that you're in and everything. And so that was my reading of it, was that this is a tale of someone who never asked and never did anything and still got everything that they could have ever even dreamed of. Although... Perhaps not, because it wasn't ever anything they ever wanted. But on the other side, we can read this story and we can still appreciate the value of the hard work. We still empathize, I feel, with, with the mother figure and in, with this idea of her wanting to pass on an ethic to her child because they had so little. And the mother was still right. I mean, the, the moral, if there is one, is certainly not. Asher, just feck it, you know. Just do nothing, and sure, if you if a prince or a princess ever do want to marry you, it'll probably be grand. There'll probably be just like three random weird old women, and then just solve all your problems. That would be not how I would take it, and how I would not have a reading of it. But it's still ultimately something about it still feels structured and satisfying, and I think that is because of its simplicity. That has a very simple setup, very clear characters, not too many of them. Prince, mother, daughter, queen, three old women um, who are well fleshed out in their two-dimensionality, if that is a word, of within the story. And there is still sections to a three very distinct parts and a satisfying twist at the end that is genuinely unexpected if you are thinking certainly of it as an uh, analogy for Rumpelstiltskin. And those are my thoughts on it in the spur of the moment anyway. So let me know what you thought. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Next week on the podcast, we will have a return to a story I attempted before, but it turned out to be a much bigger tale. So it was going to take longer to adapt. But I'm going to dive back in and do a tale from the Thousand and One Nights, the Arabian Nights, uh, one of the tales of Shahrazad. And I'm very much looking forward to sharing with you uh, because they are the other, apart from the grim tales, they are the other big text of world folklore um, and it will be exciting to share one of those with you as our world tale before cycling back around and going back to the Ulster cycle and back to the Irish folklore um, so all the usual ways you can follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com um, buy my book Garden Sea in paperback or in Kindle support me at headstuffplus at headstuffpodcast.com all of the links are in the description below. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. 
Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.